0: Hi I'm Stuart Spinks and welcome to episode 261 of my podcast Beekeeping Short and Sweet. At long last it appears summer has begun, temperatures heading up and a drier outlook makes for some urgent beekeeping work to begin in time for the main nectar flow of the season and our planned move to the borage. keeping short and sweet a beekeeping podcast for the inquisitive beekeeper with a short attention span a beekeeper in fact just like me hi everyone it's amazing what a weekend off can do for recharging the batteries even if it was an enforced weekend off welcome back to the podcast my enforced weekend break last week saw me travel to wales to act as an urgent taxi service and it gave me an opportunity to experience the vast difference in weather conditions between the eastern side of the UK here where I live and the hills and mountains of South Wales. Here's a little bit of personal information I don't think I've shared with you before. I'm half Welsh. On my mother's side, Milford Haven to be precise, that's where my mother was born before making it all the way across to Norfolk. Anyway, what was obvious was the temperature difference. It must have been 10 degrees difference oh and the clear blue skies and very hot sun it was fantastic weather and had been like it for some time I was told if only I'd been able to stay for the entire week it was really just a quick two-night stopover and then back to Norfolk unfortunately but I got to see a close friend spend a morning wandering around the neighbour's very large fruit and veg garden getting very envious I have to say and took a wander around the local walks in the forest always good for clearing your head and helping plan. That was also the case on the drive over six hours in the car alone really helps your thinking and I was able to clarify in my mind the course of action for my beekeeping for the coming week or two as we enter what is for me a crucial phase of the season. The change in weather really has made a big difference to our colony activities. Workers are now able to get out and forage whereas in the colder weather more of them were required to stay in the hive to keep the growing brood nests warm. No longer. Rising temperatures, particularly overnight temperatures, allows for a wider spread of activity and sees things like foraging and comb building increase. It's just a shame that the spring flow is for the most part over. There are some small areas of forage still available. We don't have any beans this year and I don't think we'll be having a June gap either this year as I'm already seeing blackberry flowers open and ready for business so to speak. So what's the plan I hear you ask? Well it's the same plan as before really, only it needs implementing now, in fact last week. Just to recap, we lost too many colonies over winter and had hoped for an early spring start this year to recover colony numbers by splitting and introducing queens into those splits. That hasn't happened and I've sacrificed the spring crop of honey in order to build numbers back up, I guess, to the level that I would like to have started this season with. We currently sit at something like 115 colonies, maybe a few less, maybe a few more. I have counted them honestly, but some will undoubtedly fail to accept a queen, or the newly emerged queen in some of the splits that we have will fail to mate properly. So this number is likely to go down more than up in a couple of weeks or so. By the end of June I'll know exactly what we're dealing with. We've reached this number of colonies by splitting hives. The way I like to do this is by adding a second brood box and allowing the queen to move freely between the two, no queen excluder between them. With our most vigorous colonies, it results in as many as 16 to 18 frames of brood out of a total of 20. This is then split around a week prior to a new queen being introduced. This year, once again, we're using queens produced by Luke and Susie at Northumberland Honey. It's also a time for me to feel a little nervous, anxious almost. I'll explain in a moment. Firstly, back to the process of these splits. Once the second brood box has been drawn and we're about a week away from the new queens arriving, so we set up these queenless splits. Ideally, I would like to have slipped a queen excluder in between the two boxes, isolating the queen and allowing the brood in the now queenless box to develop past the point at which any of the eggs or young larvae could subsequently be developed into queen cells. I've not been able to do that this year and so, hence, I'm feeling a little anxious and nervous. What I have to do is to check all of these split colonies for queen cells and remove every last one of them. If I leave just one in a split, it will mean that when I introduce the new queen, she's likely to be destroyed by the workers in that split in favour of the queen cell that they've produced themselves we're going to have to take our time and check every single frame, every nook and cranny. So just wish me luck and we'll see how we get on. Once we have new queens in place, the next task will be to manage the size of the colonies so that we have an even spread of brood throughout the production colonies. What I'm looking for is a minimum of five to six frames of brood over the next week or two. Remember, we're looking for a foraging force to maximise the borage nectar flow, so I really want sealed brood emerging from the last week of June and onwards into early July. That's a 21 day cycle for our workers from egg to emergence, remember. And if you're listening to this on release day, that's Sunday the 11th of June, 21 days from now is the 32nd day of June which for most people is also known as the first day of July. Eggs laid today by our queens will emerge on the 1st of July. It's unbelievable, really. If we fast forward to the end of the week, in fact, let's say our new queens don't start to lay until this time next week, those eggs are not going to emerge until the 7th or 8th of July. So we need to make sure these colonies have brood in nearly all stages now in preparation for the coming month. We don't want brood in all stages here. That would give these splits a chance to create their own queen cells and supersede or destroy the queen that we're trying to introduce, hence the reason for the splits a week prior to the new queens going in, and the need to go back into these queenless splits to remove any queen cells that might have been produced. Here we may have an opportunity to produce a few additional queens ourselves. If the split colonies Have produced queen cells, and there's no reason to think that they won't. We could remove a single frame with a queen cell on it and the accompanying bees and pop this into a nuke box. The bees with the queen cell will mostly stay put and look after that queen cell. And we can allow the new virgin queen to emerge and, with luck, get mated and start laying up a frame or two of eggs, thus developing as a nuke for the rest of the summer. And that can then be taken through to next year as an overwintered nucleus colony. An insurance policy for us, and if we have a better winter, maybe some nukes we can sell in the spring. So, my week ahead is going to be one of early starts to beat this heat wave hot in the mornings and potential thunderstorms in the afternoon. Elsewhere, the work continues. My attempts to get some queen raising underway have met with the not unusual challenges you'll remember I'm attempting to use the John Harding method of queen rearing for the first time. Attempting being the operative word here, it's not really going to plan. I messed things up right from the start by using colonies that were far too large to set up in the twin new columns, and one of them has subsequently, well I think they've swarmed, I was going to say attempted to swarm, but it looks like they have swarmed. That was split and the queen cell has been allowed to develop. Hopefully it's going to emerge if it hasn't already and maybe it's even close to mating and starting to lay. At least that's my hope. With this change in the weather who knows. The colony in the other column is doing just fine. Weird that but isn't that just how beekeeping is? Now the middle box has been nothing but trouble. One of the procedures in establishing this middle box as a queen rearing box is the addition of varying larvae to draw nurse bees in from the two sides and thus have a population of bees ready to take good care of the grafts or frames that we want to produce queen cells from. The challenge here is if I'm adding very young larvae and let's face it, it's rare to find a frame of young larvae all the same age, normally there's brood in all stages and a few cells with eggs in just to add to the challenge. Well I'm supposed to get back in and knock down any queen cells prior to adding my grafts of choice which I thought I had done. How wrong could I be? Anyway I went back to the middle box some days ago to check for these queen cells only to find a virgin queen running around. Obviously I wasn't as careful as I thought. When I was checking for queen cells previously. In my defence it is possible she may have emerged from the colony next door and wandered through the queen excluder. Another queen cell I may have missed possibly. This is the point where I try to find excuses for not being careful enough with my beekeeping. I should probably just stop and say I must do better next time. Anyway that queen was removed with all of the bees and frames from the middle box placed into a nuke and moved to another apiary. So not a total disaster, I just don't think that John Harding intended for his queen rearing method to be used to produce one queen at a time. The middle box was then rebuilt with frames from the queen right colony that was getting a little on the large side and needed to be reduced inside to prevent swarming, at least attempt to prevent swarming. Frames of food and sealed brood moved across to the middle nuke and fresh foundation inserted in the side column colony to fill the gaps. I then tried to create a few queen cells using a kind of miller frame setup. If you're unfamiliar with that, take a look at my miller frame method videos for a fuller explanation. I'll drop a link into the podcast notes for you. This has resulted in another fail – I checked in on the setup just prior to the weekend only to find freshly laid eggs. What on earth is going on? Another queen? Had I missed seeing that many queen cells? Anyway a thought occurred to me that maybe the queen was from one of the side colonies and she's getting through the queen excluders that I'd pinned to the inside of the nuke wall. So I checked both of these and they seem fixed firmly in place with no obvious gaps. Certainly not big enough for a queen to squeeze through. Something's not right, but it will have to wait until I can find time to go back and fully investigate what's happening. This, folks, is what beekeeping is all about. Giving something new a try, getting it wrong, finding out what's happening, tea and cake, that's always a good therapy for this part of the process, making a discovery or two, gaining knowledge and understanding, and then putting right any errors that I've made and starting over once more. It's why I love beekeeping so much. It's frustrating, infuriating, sometimes downright spiteful, but at the end of the day, there's always a puzzle that needs to be unravelled, understood, and put back together in the right order, hopefully. If not, it's back to the cake for some more comfort eating. Finally today I wanted to mention a topic that seems to have been gaining some traction in recent weeks and months and that's media sources commenting that apparently we're supporting and protecting the wrong species of bee, namely the honeybee. Apparently this at a cost to our native bee species. Now I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this because I think certainly It needs more research, but I also think that beekeepers more than most have an awareness of biodiversity needs and the obvious truth that we need to protect all of our bee populations, not just the honeybee. It seems to me that for better or worse, most of this commentary is driven by media outlets wanting to fill pages in newspapers, in online posts and to fill slow news days on TV. It was of course a major story when so-called colony collapse disorder hit beekeeping hard and everyone was encouraged to support beekeepers and beekeeping generally. Now this story seems to have faded away. Beekeeping appears to be becoming the villain of the piece, ousting other native pollinators by outcompeting for forage. I'm not sure that I totally agree with this view and here's why. Most of the beekeepers I know are out and about checking up on their hives on a regular basis and see far more happening in the wild than any reporter, scientist, or other person of interest in this story. I would also suggest many a reporter has never been out to look at the countryside for a few days in a row to assess for themselves the current populations of our native pollinators, let alone be able to identify. Bombus terrestris or Bombus lapidarius. That's the buff-tailed and red-tailed bumblebees respectively to those who are wondering. Before I get into a rant, I can feel a rant coming on. I suspect the biggest single cause for the population decline of, of pollinators generally here in the UK is habitat loss. Not beekeepers, not honeybees, not farmers generally or crop spraying, but habitat loss and that falls squarely with history and government policy. Now, I'm not a political animal with no particular affiliation to either left, right or centrist views. It just seems more about common sense than anything else. Here's a little bit of quick research that I did, and a possible reason for habitat loss. Natural England reported in 2019 that an estimated Total length of hedgerows had reduced by around 50% between 1947 and 1990. Guess where an awful lot of pollinators and insects generally like to live exactly. The UK's Agricultural Act gave financial incentives to encourage an increase in farm machinery use on farms, machinery that can be better used on large open fields rather than smaller fields surrounded by lots and lots of hedgerows that delay and prevent maximum return on investment. And here's an interesting little nodule of information for you. In 1982, there was a report that suggested there had been something in the order of 450,000 beehives in the UK in the late 1940s. Fast forward to now, and that number is calculated to around 250,000. We all remember as children seeing so many other pollinators, and honestly, I think I can say that as a child, I only ever remember seeing bumblebees and wasps in the garden. Not that I would necessarily have known at the time what a honeybee was perhaps. The point is, here we have a massive decline in reported honeybee colonies, yet apparently it's the honeybee that's causing all the problems. I don't think so. Finally, and I know this has turned into a bit of a rant, but it does frustrate me, finally bumblebee species have seen a European-wide decline in recent years, mostly attributable to the destruction of forage and nest sites caused by agricultural intensification. Now again, I reiterate, I'm not blaming farmers here. Governments have in the past been far more focused on food security and food production at the expense of protecting the wider environment and everything that lives in it. Surely it's time for that to change before it's too late, and rather than blaming beekeepers – we should look at solutions that support all farming communities but more importantly protects our countryside environment for the benefit of all anyway rant over with links to my somewhat limited research in the podcast notes don't forget to check out my website www.norfolk-honey.co.uk and for my latest videos and podcasts with more updates tips and techniques it's the same patreon page www.patreon.com forward slash Norfolk Honey. And remember, I'm Stuart Spinks, and that was Beekeeping Short and Sweet.